the UK Psych Health and Safety and ISO 45003 podcast. The goal of the UK Psych Health and Safety podcast is to be your source of information on psychological injury prevention, health promotion and best practice. In doing this, we aim to rapidly advance the global practice of psychological health and safety in workplaces and adoption of best practices from the ISO 45003 standard. We will be looking at fully integrated approaches to managing psych health and safety and well-being strategy in the workplace that meet the needs of everyone in the organisation. Your regular host will be Peter Kelly, Senior Psychologist with the UK Health and Safety Executive and Sheila Lord of BMR Health and Wellbeing. Every week we will have a guest episode from the fields of health and safety, human resources, psychology and academia who are leading the way in their corner of the globe. Hi and welcome to the latest episode of the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. Uh, This week I'm really excited to be joined by Dr Innes O'Donovan, um, who is an executive coach uh, and a thought leader um, and also I would say somebody who's studied a lot. Um, She has a PhD in management learning, leadership and employee engagement and also an MBA in innovation, entrepreneurship and technology under her belt. Uh, And Innes translates all her wisdom, her research and her experience into simple practical tips that women specifically um, can easily integrate into their daily lives. And that's around women's health, around aging and around longevity. Um, So welcome to the show Innes, it's great to have you here. Hi, it's great being here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, thank you. So um, in terms of today's topic, we're talking about really leadership and, and how leadership has changed and continues to change. Uh, and with it, what are the characteristics and the requirements for leaders as we, as we kind of move forward? We've got different generations coming through now. So in order to ensure that leader and employee engagement, uh, high performance and business success for the next decade, it's crucial that this new generation of leaders coming through, that we're actually developing them in the right way now. So first question I want to ask you, what's leadership to you, Innes? Well, let me uh, just take a slight step back because you said it's about uh, kind of developing new leaders, but it's also about keeping the leaders we have because we will all be working longer, living longer. So, you know, do not forget about the current generation of leaders that are already there. So, but what is leadership? I used to think, uh, or from position, I used to say, being a leader means having followers. But things, as you said, are changing. And uh, it's really a leader is already today so much more than just having somebody who has followers. And um, uh, it is kind of really moving towards in the future, it's going to change even more as we move into more of the virtual world and to some of the trends that we are seeing already now. So I've developed the, what I call the like vibrant leadership model, which at its base really means that um, we are biologically young, which means that we are physically, mentally, and psychologically resilient. We need and want to perform very well and You know, the brain is really our best asset, our most important asset as we move into the future. And then, of course, one of the things that we need to think about is that a leader embraces longevity 
from the point of view for its personal life, but also for business life. So that at the base is really how I would define leadership at the moment. Fantastic. And, and what do you see then in terms of, and you've picked up something there that I think is really important and something that, you know, uh, I think is a challenge with this world of virtual working now. How do we still create that, that kind of camaraderie, that kind of team feeling and that sense of leadership when in a world that we're, we are so much more technologically connected but physically disconnected. And that's a really difficult challenge, isn't it? How do leaders bridge that gap and get over that so that we're not losing that dynamic of the workplace and that social element of the workplace? Many people see that as a, as a challenge. I actually see it as an opportunity <laughs> because Yes, what we're going through right now, especially with COVID and, you know, everybody glued to Zoom, where we have those Zoom meetings and everybody being bored and uh, in a way <laughs> uh, and kind of getting sick of Zoom, that is not the experience we're going to have in the future. So, I mean, you see some people who say, okay, you know, like going forward, I want to have part of my life where I can be at home, I can basically direct my own day in a way that suits me, that suits the way kind of my brain works, the way kind of where I have the most energy, et cetera. But on the other side, we do of course have teams and we need them. And the way we teams are created will be different in the future. Um, but uh, we will be able in the future, if you look at the whole uh, idea of metaverse, for instance, you know, virtual reality, those things will actually bring us far closer together than we are now. We will be able to recreate similar, if not better experiences by really fusing the virtual and the real world. So like right now, what we perceive as a real world will basically be expanded by integrating the virtual. So like if you go into the metaverse, let's say for instance, you have a project that like projects will be done differently in the future. You know, they'll be far more on demand. And uh, kind of instead of having those hierarchical structures that we currently find, there will be many more people who are working independently on their own. They will acquire the skills they want to acquire because they see that as important. So the likelihood of people saying, you know, hey, I have a really interesting idea for a product. And I still need, I need a marketing person. I need to have maybe a product design. I need to somebody for financing. I need somebody for whatever. Um, they will be able in the future to go out and say, you know, I choose the people who are the most passionate about this topic and who are, you know, really, really good at those specific topics. And we create virtual teams and to come back to the uh, metaverse, for instance, for like a, what we traditionally know as, you know, getting to know each other, you know, team building, et cetera. Why not meet somewhere at a beach in the virtual world? And we can have, you know, like the glasses we have now are far too heavy. They're not comfortable. They're not nice. There are already uh, basically contact lenses that allow us to do the same. They're not being sold yet. More kind of like glasses under development that are lighter, but in the future, chances, that basically we have something like contact lenses or maybe even it's integrated into our eyes, who knows? 
um, then we, we can actually see ourselves in the virtual world with the others. Maybe add on haptic suits where you can have the feeling of touch. So you can actually shake the hands of the others. You can actually meet them. You can look into their eyes. So it's a much more natural experience that we actually experience what we in so-called real life today in the future. And we will also be working far more in co-working spaces uh, in the virtual world, in, in the metaverse in the future. So it will be really blending different worlds and that will be real to us. That will be normal. Yeah, I mean, for me, that sounds, you know, being um, of the older generation of workforce sounds absolutely bonkers. <laughs> you know, I hear the word metaverse and I think of Spider-Man movies with my child. So, you know, and, and I think it's, it's, you know, that within itself, the idea of that level of technology can actually, from a psychological perspective, really start to cause massive impacts to people's stress levels because actually you know younger generations or you know um you know, they're, they're, they're so much more adept to adapting to technology generally and i am generalizing but you know there's so much that they're, they're, they find it easier to adapt to that somebody like me who's got one foot in the old world when we did everything like in the real world rather than any kind of concept of a, of a metaverse um you know we just f i find that particularly odd and nothing beats you know um being able to see somebody in hand rather than getting up putting a weird suit on putting some funny contact lenses in etc etc so you know we've got these challenges where you know we we want age forces that are diverse sorry we want workforces that are diverse in terms of age yeah but the way in which we communicate and how we bring that back and how we manage that from a psychological impact and the risk to people's health and well-being, um, that's going to be challenging because people are going to want to work in different ways. And um, what are your thoughts around that? Because these, these are some of the real challenges that are presented with these different ages of workforce where we're all on different levels of what is and is not part of our journey. No, absolutely. And I, I am a futurist, so I do talk a lot about the future. <laughs> but of course, you know, it is really important uh, to start educating about all that now because it is going to happen. You know, I mean, if you just look back 10 years, even five years ago, you know, it was not as common to sit on a Zoom even and to have a conversation there. And uh, when people were thrown into it, there was no choice. Then, okay, that kind of became the new normal. Yes, we do need to uh, have that kind of the impression, let's say it on that, like that, of a physical contact with people. But in the metaverse, in the future, we will be able to replicate that. So... It is right now, I think it's a really challenging time, but it's also a really good time to give exposure to different uh, technologies, to different ways of working together. And of course, we all know we are all different. So there are some ways that will work better for some than for others. And we need to try out things. We need to explore you know, what is possible, what will work for us. How do we want to work? But the future, we will be far more connected around the world. We will be working in the metaverse. 
whatever will be called like that at that stage, you know, it might not be called metaverse anymore. The chances mm -hmm. are it won't be. But the same as, you know, when the internet came about, kind of basically no, nobody really knew about, nobody knew what to do with it. And then suddenly it became like, now everybody's there. We're there all the time. Same with email. And now like uh, going from sending uh, letters or, or faxes. Or telex kind of, machine. I'm, I'm yeah. that old. <laughs> you know, so it's like kind of things are changing and yeah. there's no stopping it. And like, even if you kind of, a lot of people kind of saying, okay, you know, I don't really want to go there. I don't want to change, but by not, going with it by not exploring those things we're actually moving backwards we're changing backwards so well, get, yeah it's the leaders for the future especially if you talk about leaders they need to embrace that they need to bring that in into what their own life first because they need to experience but then also in the lives of their teams mm, absolutely and it's interesting isn't it because I think with anything like this and even things like with, you know, the transition over to Zoom, as you say, and the internet and everything else, you know, from an employment or an employer's perspective, you know, we need to be mindful. And this doesn't just apply to how technology is developing in the metaverse and all of that future stuff that we've just talked about. But, you know, it's how do we ensure the well-being of the people within our employees? Um, and I think a lot of the time, you know, and still what we see today is a lot of um, a tendency towards a hierarchy, you know, hierarchical decisions being made on what's best for employees without consultation yeah. and without asking questions. And I think that, you know, on stuff like this and whether it's the futurist stuff, whether it's a basic wellness program or well-being program, whether it's looking at the responses from, you know, feedback that we've had from the workforce. I think one of the important things that we need to do here is to really make sure that workforces have a very consultative process that involves employees and really gets their feedback on what works, what doesn't, um, and what have they got as suggestions as the way that work should be should be being driven forward to help to try and take those members of staff on that journey with them. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's if, if we again looking kind of the trends going into the future and you see that especially starting with the younger generation, but also if you look at Web3, which mostly is related to younger generation, but there is a demand for self-actualization. So, and an employer needs to embrace that and needs to give the opportunities to explore that. So basically from an employer uh, point of view, in my opinion, there needs to be uh, an opportunity to, well, not just improve, basically also train people about, you know, create awareness, train people about what is happening, you know, it's like, from an aging perspective, uh, from a, like, for instance, for women, menopause uh, perspective, et cetera. What does it mean? You know, how does all that impact the daily life as a leader, as an employee? And uh, how does it change over time? And uh, then it's, that is one part. But then the second part is, of course, you know, offering interventions that need to be personalized, you know, and like where people can actually choose, you know, this is the intervention that is right for me. Because again, we're like, we're all different. And 
one thing that works for one person, like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, just from, from you know, like that perspective uh, might work for one person. For somebody else, uh, something else will work. And we really need to take that into account and to just have generalized, you know, like here, this is a training you go to. I mean, for awareness, a lot of that, yes, will work my from my perspective. But when we actually talk about interventions, or I call them experiments, again, because a lot of people don't know what works for them. Most people don't know what works for them. So giving them the opportunity to test different things and say, okay, yes, that works for me. So I go for that. That will help. So, so for me, both of those things are really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, picking up on a point that you made there in this is that, you know, these personalized interventions versus generic programs. And I think, you know, the world of work has, has evolved so much um, in uh, more recent years and definitely fast forwarded by the pandemic um, in terms of the use of technologies and the changing attitudes of employers about being that whole person in the workplace and no more leaving the, the personal at the door because, you know, the two often blend into each other. But yet still there's a big reluctance or a lack of understanding and knowledge of how to do personalised interventions. So organisations have, have invested lots of money, they've invested, invested lots of time, lots of effort into putting in well-being programmes, for example, um, mental health first aiders, for example, uh, you know, um, fitness classes or wellness or physical stuff or, um, you know, well-being apps, meditations, mindfulness. But these are very generic approaches that would work for some, for those people that like, tend to live their life in a very flourishing state and, you know, in mental wellness. Those are all great interventions. But personalised interventions, especially when people are struggling, are really important. And... Um, I, I see sometimes with a lot of employers that they, 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 they really overthink this, really overthink this. And we'll look at maybe organisational, what's going on with an organisation through an engagement survey. And then we sit in our uh, senior leadership levels and then we, we guess at what we think might be a really good thing to address that without actually saying Actually, this is a, an overall organisational level. But what's going on in London? What's going on in New York? What's going on in China? What's going on in Manchester? What's going on in London? And then what's going on in accounting? And what's going on in sales? Because once we start to break that down to a smaller group level, we can then start to do personalised interventions at a local level, but still have this overall kind of overarching approach so with the right tools, the right technologies, that's definitely something we advocate um, at BMR and um, with um, Flourish DX, which is a tool that we use to, to really enable us to get into those subgroups throughout the organisation to find out what's really going on. And if we're not doing this consultation piece and getting this personalised level of intervention, then we're never really going to look to shift the dial. And we can't just do this once. We need to do this on a regular basis because we need to be constantly evaluating because the sands of time shift so quickly in today's world that we've got to have the tools and the structures and the process in place to be really dynamic 
and to really shift with it. So, you know, going back to, you know, we talk about um, employee engagement, you know, going back to the traditional approach of an annual employee engagement survey that takes three months for the results to be pulled together and then another month or two months to disseminate an action plan and put an action plan and then to communicate it. And I hang on a minute, three months has passed or six months has passed or even three or six weeks. Let's forget that. What are we, you know, the world, the sands of time have shifted and that that, that was a problem three weeks ago. Um, and we've moved on from that and this is today's problem. So we need to be a lot more dynamic and it needs to be that managers at a local level have the ability and the tools and, and, and the, the wherewithal to be able to do this at a local level and then escalate other stuff for the kind of hierarchical tree if it was if there's some more fundamental organizational stuff that's coming through there i mean what you know what are your thoughts on you know how employers should really be thinking about this moving forward you know just kind of staying around this personalized interventions bit because for me that's the way forward we need to we need to be going that way Absolutely. Uh, well, basically, there are two major things that came up for me while you were uh, talking. So, a uh, <laughs> employee engagement surveys. Uh, I mean, in my PhD, basically, I looked at the large global organization and at their basically in, uh, employee engagement survey, and I looked at uh, their basically all the literature around it and the way. Uh, basically consultancies uh, do those surveys, the ways that uh, kind of companies do them, the way academia suggests, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things that I found was actually what is often measured in those employee engagement surveys is not relevant to actual engagement. <laughs> so, you know, it's not engagement as, you know, there, there are several parts of engagement you know, like I created like a, a model that I believe is much more relevant, of course. Um, but, you know, like you need to look at the attitudes in relation to you know, like the attitude engagement. You need to look at the physical and mental um, perspective. You need to look at the behavioral aspect, uh, perspective. And most of those services don't do all those things. So, you know, it's like kind of one leads to the next. And if you don't look at all the perspectives, you don't get a good picture in the first place. You know, and that is starting at a global level. But then, of course, like the opportunity we have, if we can do all those things, is we can segment, you know, and we can actually look, okay, so what does that mean? What are, the, of course, the challenge is always that uh, we cannot focus on individuals as such, because obviously we don't know who those, that, person, that person is, but we can look at trends. We can see, okay, you know, actually there are a lot of uh, our employees that are struggling with passion for work just as an example you know it's like so why is that what's what's actually going on and we can do you know focus groups whatever and uh, just find out what is actually going on and how can we improve that and then we can offer kind of different programs and i think local is one thing but also global you know i think kind of they should both work because there are certain topics that will that are relevant you know for everybody in the organization that has kind of an issue with that topic. So, you know, so basically, I think it's, it should be, in my opinion, a combination of both. Absolutely, and, and definitely you know, top, top down and bottom up so that actually we start to meet in the middle. And, and, and as you say, there'll be some stuff that appears as an opportunity for improvement across all segments because the same thing with the flagging, 
and that might be a leadership or a culture or a directional thing within a business and then other stuff that's work design operational within our control we can just make ourselves a bit more efficient and more effective so top down bottom up yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. absolutely important. And it's like, uh, I do believe that, yes, educational advice, that can be a kind of uh, top down approach to a certain extent, uh, from the perspective of, okay, we want to educate, you know, everybody in the organization about certain things so that they just know about it. You know, what what's there, what's possible, uh, etc, where could be potential challenges. But at the end of the day, it won't be relevant for everybody. So we need to have that, you know, as you say, you know, the individual uh, choice of people to join certain things. And they will only do that really if they're passionate, if they're engaged, if they're passionate about their work. So it's like, there's actually, we need to also find ways, okay, how can we get people to be more interested in that? Because you know, again, like if you talk, for instance, uh, about menopause, men know pretty much, like very few men actually know about it. But even most women don't really know about what's happening in their body. So, um, you know, like even just creating that awareness there uh, is, is super important. And uh, but still, you know, like we, we need to also provide that space, a safe space and the opportunity to talk about those things. And that potentially could be a thing where you say, you know, actually, yeah, I have learned that these are some of the symptoms. Let's just say, use the example of perimenopause, menopause. These are some of the symptoms that tend to be typical. Actually, you know, I am experienced kind of like brain fog. I'm experienced like the tingling in my hands and feet. I experience kind of, um, you know, like, I mean, hot flashes are the typical things. But, you know, there's so many other things. And like, oh, you know, like, I want to know how I can deal with that. And I know my organization provides me a safe space where I can talk with, uh, about it, where I can have a community either within the organization or to be honest, I think I would actually recommend across uh, organizations, you know, or like we have the HS women community, you know, to actually have a space where they can talk about their issues, what is just going on, where they can find solutions, where they can uh, also basically, you know, like lift others up when they're down or get uplifted if they're down themselves. And it's just like community is so important from so many perspectives. As a leader, of course, especially as we move into the future, it will be so much more team-based. So that is a big trend. So we need to keep that in mind. But also from a longevity point of view, if you look at um, tribes and groups who tend to live longer, a big component of that is community. So we really need to keep that in mind as well. I think that's a really, really good point, Ines, because, and, and, and I just want to balance it because, you know, from two ends of the spectrum, you let, you let, you know, you'll have the cynical employer going, oh my God, so now I'm supposed to create these communities. When is anybody going to get any work done? Um, and, and actually on the balancing side of this, to, to get this community thing going, the employer doesn't necessarily have to do anything. It could be that, it flags up as an issue. So I use menopause as, as an example, right? It flags up as an issue in the workforce. And let's say, I don't know, 60% say, actually, menopause in, in this group of, uh, of employees is flagged up. Therefore, you know, you know, what are some of the things that we can do? Consult with the employees. Consult with the employees. And somebody in that employee might, might go, do you know what? I am I'm, I'm, I'm winning at life in menopause because I found a group on Facebook, for example. Yeah? A community group with 20,000 followers in it 
our 20,000 members of this community, and it's brilliant. And then within the company, SharePoint, intranet, um, digital uh, wellbeing management tool, whatever that may be, is a link to the Facebook community group. The employer needs to do nothing more than create the space for people to have the conversation, to share the information. And this is where I think that sometimes as employers, we can overthink what our contribution to this is, that to all the, the stuff that we need to put in. And I'm a massive, massive firm believer of not, not reinventing the wheel. If there's a community out there that exists, use it. Give people access to it. All you're doing is promoting and sharing the stuff that other people are feeling back as good. Yeah, absolutely. And the same, you know, like one of the things that I do find uh, is well, one of the challenges, let's say, in our, like, especially with whole, the whole idea of aging and uh, kind of perimenopause and related also kind of a lot of that related to the mental health is that um, doctors do not know on average. So that's a big challenge. So it's like, one is like, where do you find good experts? You know, so this is kind of like one, you know, like in the in the magazine, for instance, Genesis Magazine. This is one of the things where we're bringing in some of the experts to share what's going on. You know, which actually takes me to the second point. It is super important to be up to date on the latest research and uh, you know what is actually going on and what can you know women do. And uh, again, you know, for an organization to just connect into that knowledge and into that knowledge sharing, it's much easier than trying to kind of basically have their own team, Marcom team, you know, or whatever communications team uh, who all kind of like, oh, we need to offer this all on our intranet, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, there's so many sources outside and there's so much happening outside, just connect to it. And uh, kind of, it helps them at the end of the day, you know, with their own team, because like, if they get, women are struggling with where can we find that information translated yes. into practical tips you know because like that's one of the things that like you know what i like i sent for instance a weekly newsletter where i really look at the latest research and i translate it into practical tips because women don't have time you know especially leaders they don't have time uh you know to read stuff to read research and uh, like most of the time they have not you know, gone through the education to be able to understand all that, which is totally okay. And then they shouldn't, you know, it's like, why should they learn all the stuff if they can get that already translated? So if organizations, you know, provide basically access to those type of things, then that will help them to have a really great educated workforce. They will feel treated well because it's like, hey, you know, my they, they gave me the sources. I would have never found them on my own because I just don't know where to look. You know, I don't know what I don't know. Absolutely. And I think this goes back to that we talk, you know, with organisations and with employers and employees, there is this shared responsibility for um, managing well-being and mental health, etc. And, you know, for example, you know, the employer provides the educational piece. So let's take menopause, for example. So, you know, I did... Um, we do the menopause um, awareness training um, for organizations. And when we took that on, we partnered with an organization that delivers that. We don't, you know, they're, they're the experts in this. So we partnered with them and thought, okay, I need to do this. One, I'm, I'm a, I, I suspected I was experiencing perimenopause symptoms for, for at least four or five years. Two, I need to know what the training is because we're going to find out that we need to do that. And three, actually, 
I haven't really got a clue what all this menopause malarkey is because and, and what's safe and what's not safe because there's so much misinformation that's been out there um, over the years um, and a lot of scaremongering in the media, et cetera, et cetera. But then having educated myself, it's then up to me to take action Absolutely. and to do something about it, um, you know, which for me specifically, I probably did. And now my husband's like, well, you're like a new woman since you got those patches. <laughs> but it's up to us to, again, for a, as I'm, I'm pulling it back into the context of an employer, provide the education. You don't have to learn how to deliver the education. Find a provider, find a, a product or a service or a solution out there that can deliver the educational piece or make it accessible to all of your staff. Make sure that they're aware that it exists. Don't just go out and buy a pile of stuff and think, I've done it. There's a comms piece. And you know we talked about having that whole comms um, piece in place and that repeating and that re, you know reissuing of that information um, and making sure that it's part and parcel of your culture, but then make it accessible absolutely absolutely and be a flexible employer so that if people then need the time off to go to the doctors to do this to do that you know i have those appointments whatever that may be or even bring in you know there's some organizations uh let's take for example prostate cancer where they have people that come on site and they do the testing so again doing things like this would be relatively inexpensive in comparison to the um, impact of somebody being off long-term sick that was a somebody that was of quite senior importance in the in the leadership team that hit menopause and all of a sudden struggled, couldn't cope, didn't understand what was going on. Uh, like me, I went to the doctors for the for the first time. I was struggling about four years ago, um, and I was um, given antidepressants and told to take two weeks off. Which is, yeah, it drives me nuts. <laughs> but you know, like the, the whole thing about like men, you know, uh, they're lucky in a way that uh, their hormones change far more slowly than for women. So kind of we women, we have a big advantage until we hit a perimenopause menopause because on average, we are healthier than men until then. So like in a way, our superpowers are estrogen. <laughs> So, so, you know, this is really good. But of course, you know, as we get into perimenopause, menopause, and that's again where the whole biological aging comes in, is like during that time, within just a few months, biologically, we age on average nine years. So we get nine years older biologically within just a few months. And I mean, it's not a surprise then that that has a significant impact on everything. And this is when most of the aging related diseases are triggered. This is kind of like, it's basically, it's, it's almost like a switch, you know, it's like, and suddenly kind of women are, you know, far less healthy than men because of all that. So it's really important. Like that period is super, super important, but it's also kind of visit change of kind of the hormones that impacts our neurotransmitters, which translates to mental health. So on average, uh, like 20%, well, it's not an average, it's like 20% of women going through a perimenopause, menopause, which we all know we do, <laughs> there's no choice. 50% uh, of the population is going through that. So 20% uh, of those women have at some stage have depression. And kind of, I just, uh, because I'm just going through kind of a discovery journey of uh, finding out that I seem to have ADHD. <laughs> 
which uh, I did not know. I've been, you know, like managing really well. And like, you know, there are things like having uh, kind of high intelligence as a girl being more aware of social expectations or having a very supportive family, et cetera, et cetera, where we can balance a lot of those things much easier than boys. And like, it's only relatively recent that we know actually, you know, adult ADHD can happen without kind of having had ADHD as a child even. And there was a study or a survey that was done by Attitude uh, where they basically asked 1,500 women about, uh, you know, like basically perimenopause, menopause and ADHD. And uh, it was like 83% that, uh, of that survey reported that they experienced uh, ADHD symptoms for the first time when they hit uh, perimenopause, menopause. So uh, I think, again, you know, there's a lot of knowledge that we need to do. And as an employer or as a leader, we also need to be aware of that because we need to allow women to change the way they approach things. We need to give them opportunities to find out how can they manage those situations. And even if you don't have ADHD, <laughs> just in general, you know, like most women do experience some symptoms of uh, perimenopause, menopause. So, you know, it's like the hot flashes, they're not sleeping well, which does not help, you know, because that then you have the brain fog. So there's a, there's really like a downward spiral that's happening at that stage. And uh, if we can balance that very early on, then uh, we can actually avoid a lot of those problems. But if not, you know, an employer, in my uh, opinion, needs to offer opportunities for women to, okay, you know, I find out how I can deal better with that situation. And it's not just, uh, kind of like perimenopause, menopause, like for women, it's also kind of as a woman, our natural cycle that we go through every month, or that both of us used to go through. <laughs> um, basically, there are times when we are far better suited to, uh, for instance, we are far better at negotiating things, at making decisions, while at other times we are like, okay, you know, let's step a little bit back, let's reflect, let's think maybe a bit more about strategic things that we can do. So being able to adjust that uh, will be far more effective for an employer. They will get far more productivity than otherwise. And kind of if we, I was just looking, I don't have those numbers around. Maybe I do. Oh yes. Uh, so just kind of like looking at some of the costs, basically. So just costs due to vasomotor symptoms. So like the hot flashes, night sweats, et cetera, costs on average $810 billion a year. So uh, that is massive. And, you know, $150 billion of that is basically lost uh, productivity. So if you look at those data, it's like, it's so much cheaper for an employer to educate and to offer the opportunities to find out than just saying, oh yeah, no, no, it's not a topic for us. Or women trying to kind of force their way through this period and just saying, oh, but you know, I'm different and it's it's not me and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a natural thing. Uh, so we should go through that. Uh, and, you know, I respect women who want, who make that decision, but kind of do make it uh, in a way where you have all the information and then make your decision. Instead Absolutely. of saying, you know, it's like, yeah, but it's, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's just normal. I mean, you know, what is normal? You know, people do take uh, drugs for like lowering cholesterol, for diabetes, for a lot of different things. 
And uh, why not just balance what's naturally ours, you know? Uh, a little bit, of course, bioidentical, or as uh, Louise Newsom says uh, in the UK, she says about body identical hormones, you know? So I think it's really, really important to rethink a lot of the things that we have been taught. Absolutely, absolutely, Ines. And, and it's been really, really fascinating talking to you. We've gone from metaverse to menopause. Um, <laughs> it's like, how do you make that leap? <laughs> so it's been really, really interesting. So, I mean, in terms of your kind of business, uh, advice to business leaders um, moving forward, um, what's the kind of most important kind of piece of information that you would say to them that they need to keep just forefront of their mind moving forward? Well, personally, I believe that is really measuring biological age because it really impacts everything else. Uh, it impacts our mental health. It impacts our physical health. It impacts really everything in our life. So measuring and then uh, basically what? Knowing what to do with that, uh, being aware of what that means for the body and then basically uh, creating opportunities for themselves and for others to have uh, relevant interventions, personalized interventions. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time today. And it's been really, really Fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much, Sheila. You've been listening to the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention and the new ISO 45003 standard, follow subscribe to the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.ukpsychhealthandsafety.com.